Good morning. My name is Chrissy Gates. I serve on the prayer and communion team. By the way, we're always recruiting for new volunteers. So if you're looking for a place to serve, shout out. Yeah, back there. Some hands going up. So today we're going to read Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then who is to each of us, how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Christy. This morning we're remembering a couple things. It's a Memorial Day weekend, so we stop and reflect and thank all the people who have served our country, fought for our freedom, those who have given their lives. Uh, we don't want to uh, gloss over that this morning. It just happens to this year, the Memorial Day weekend and Pentecost Sunday happen to fall on the same weekend. If you've been with us on this journey, we follow the Christian calendar around here at City Church. It helps root us in the story of God. And so we started the last week of November, you guys go all the way back then, uh, the season of Advent, the coming, the arrival of Jesus' birth and Christmas services. And then we go through the season of Epiphany and Lent. Lent was the 40 days where we journey to the cross together, leading up to Good Friday and Easter. And then 50 days after Easter, we get to this point uh, in the story of Pentecost. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I love speaking on Pentecost Sunday. Some of you know this about Pastor Matt, I am a teacher, which means I keep pretty chill most of the time, but on Pentecost, I preach. Come on now. Because Pentecost is a little bit different, right? It's a moment where the Spirit's poured out on the church. I kind of joke around with people. Uh, some of you are only Pentecostals for one day a year today. I'm a Pentecostal every day. I grew up in it, it's in my blood, it's, it's deep in our family lineage, but some of you just for one day, can you, can you, can you get a little bit excited for one day? And then next week you can just sit there, it's cool, it's fine. 
We are positioned in the story of God in this moment after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and just before his ascension. When these moments and these days that Jesus is with his disciples. And these moments before Jesus ascends into heaven, he looks and he says, hey, you're not gonna be able to do this without my power. I've actually seen what you can do in your own ability and it's really ugly, (laughs) right? And so you're gonna need something to accomplish the task I've called you to. This is Acts chapter one, where we're getting this story. Can you imagine being given a mission that is so massive and so big that you don't even know where to start? Can you imagine what it would like been the disciples? Like, oh yeah, you're gonna bring my kingdom to reality here. You're gonna start the church. It's just, it's a little minor thing. You're gonna spread the gospel to the known world. And if you're the disciples, you're like, and you're gonna leave? And I'm gonna do this how? You don't even know where to start on this. Some of you know I, I coach church planners. That's my passion, I love it. Um, it's just helped them a year before they launch a brand new church and a year after they start a church. And let me tell you, I've, I've done this now hundreds of times with church planners and there's always this, this point where you begin where you're just absolutely overwhelmed. Because you're like, we're moving to a new city and we've gotta raise and we've got to find a location for our church and we've got to build a team and uh, my family's relying on me and there's nothing and I've got to produce something and there's all these like systems and structures and it's just overwhelming and and I just kind of calm them down at the very beginning and say, guess what? You can't do it all in one day. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead you every day, every step on the journey to accomplish what God's called you to do, amen? Instead, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm gonna give you my spirit and your main objective is going to be to walk in step with my spirit. You're gonna jump into the current, the flow of my, my spirit and if you just stay there, guess what? I will accomplish the task that I've set out in you and through you and we could just pray right here and leave for the day, couldn't we? Some of you, that's the word that you need to leave this morning. You're trying to manufacture something in your own ability and God's literally saying to you, all you have to do is walk in step with my spirit and guess what, you get to the places that I've called you to go. But some of you are working so stinking hard trying to do it in your own ability, guess what, you can't, amen? I don't have to figure all of this out. That's why Jesus looks at his disciples and say, just go to Jerusalem and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. If you're taking notes and following along with us this morning, we cannot underestimate the potential of believers gathering in unity to wait upon the Lord. This is a lost art in the church today. Come on now. It's a lost art. People don't want to show up and wait on the Lord. They want to be entertained. Come on now, that wasn't in my notes. Acts chapter two, (laughs) verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, Chrissy just read this, they were all together in one place. It's important that we stop and just recognize they were all together in one place. That's key. They couldn't be in disunity all over the place. They had to be all together in one place. They didn't know everything was about to change. They didn't realize that a wind was about to sweep through the room. Can I just tell you, it's so easy to get stuck in this do it again loop of just exhaustion and frustration and life and just going through the motions and I gotta go to work and I do church and I do all these things. You just get stuck, it's easy, isn't it? You ever been in like the subway area, Times Square? There's actually a poem that's written on the walls. If you're walking through Times Square, you can read it as you go. It's a poem by Norman Culp, it's called Commuter's Lament. Anybody ever seen that? 
it says this, it says, overslept, so tired. If late, get fired. Why bother? Why the pain? Just go home, do it again. It's expressing the frustration of just going through the same cycle. I just do what I do over and over again, and it's just, it's just this like continuous loop that I can't break free from. I, I gotta be honest with you, I think there's a lot of people do, do this with the church and in their faith. And sometimes, let me tell you, you have to just show up, but what happens when you show up expecting for God to move? Like you show up and you're expecting God to do something instead of sitting back and like, maybe, but probably not. Hopeful, but uh, doubtful. You have a group of people in Acts chapter two that I think were gathered together with expectation. I don't think they were sitting back and be like, mm, maybe something will happen. I think they're expecting something to happen because Jesus says, go and wait. And I'm not gonna tell you where or how or when, but just wait on me. These aren't elite people gathered either. These are the marginalized minority who are controversial because they left the Jewish way and started following this guy named Jesus. And let me tell you, it wasn't always popular but they were unified and they were in one place and they were expectant. And they couldn't in their wildest imaginations ever dreamed what God was about to do in that moment. If you're taking notes, the personal presence of Jesus with the disciples will now become the personal power of Jesus in the disciples. This is what Pentecost is about. This is when Jesus says in John 14, I'm gonna leave you. It's gonna be better if I leave. They're all looking and be like, impossible. Nope, there's no way. But Jesus says, my presence has been with you, but now I'm going to live in you through my Holy Spirit. Trust me, it's better. And I still believe there's a lot of Christians today, you may be in the stream, you're like, mm, is it really? Because we're not actually walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like is possible. Like we can. Jesus is saying that this is not just his omnipresence that's gonna be with us, but now my manifest presence is gonna be with you. I'm not gonna be relegated to certain people in certain places. In the Old Testament, God showed up in this mountain. He was with, with this prophet. It was only in the temple with the Holy of Holies and the priest. And now God says, my manifest presence is gonna be poured out when the people of God gather together in my name. I don't care where you came from, what your background is, your socioeconomic status, the spirit of God will be poured out in your life. And we read in the text that a violent wind blows through and fills the house. Tongues of fire come down and rest on the people of God. This is bizarre. This has never happened before. This is weird. People are looking around, what's going on? I mean, we live in Oklahoma. We know what a violent wind is, right? I mean, can you imagine it blowing through the room that you're in? And then you see fire coming down but not consuming people. And you're like, what is happening in this room? And then the text says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's get weird this morning, City Church. Come on now. All the Pentecostals in the room are like, finally, Pastor. It's about time. <laughs> all you who don't come from this, you're like, really? We're gonna talk about this? It's so funny, because every time Pentecost, you're like, Pastor, I really wish that you would preach more on that. Like, you can tell who people are, where they come from, all right? 
Let me just say this. This is not the, 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 the crux of the message. It's not the bullseye of what we're talking about this morning, but there are many times of tongues in the Old Testament. I did my master's thesis on this topic because I grew up in a Pentecostal setting, and yet I would read things in the Bible that were inconsistent with our practices and services. So I spent a year of my life studying this topic, uh, which read every book imaginable. In Scripture, we see three different kinds of tongues. The first one we see in 1 Corinthians 12 is the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues used in the assembly like this for the edifying of the believers. It's to be used where there's prophecy and interpretation and it's used to edify everybody. 1 Corinthians 14 gives us a different kind of tongues where Paul calls it his personal prayer language. It's not something that's necessarily open and present to everybody. It's something a little bit more behind the scenes that Paul practices regularly in his life. And then we get the Acts 2 type of tongues which is different than what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Acts chapter two is languages that are intelligible that people otherwise didn't know. This is weird. Literally, they're in this upper room, the spirit of God is poured out, it moves from the upper room into the streets of Jerusalem, and people begin to speak in languages that they've never spoken in that language fluently, where the people all around them heard and said, how is that guy speaking my native language? I've never seen necessarily this happen before, but this is what's happening in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And then people are looking around and they're like, these guys gotta be drunk. There's no other explanation. See, here's what was happening on Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish festival, the Jewish festival of weeks or the festival of harvest. It was where people would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So imagine the city being packed with people from all over the world. This is spilling over from an upper room into the streets of Jerusalem, where the streets are full from all kinds of languages, all kinds of ethnicities, and then all of a sudden you hear your dialect and your language being spoken in a perfect tongue by someone who should not be speaking your language. And people look around and be like, what is happening? I'm hearing the gospel being preached in my own language, and this is where people stop and they're like, this has to be a miracle. And then you always have the group over here, you're like, mm-mm, nope, can't be, gotta be drunk. They've had too much wine. Let me stop for a minute and say this to you. When there is a genuine move of God, when the Holy Spirit manifests itself in and through our lives, there will always, underline always, be people who say it was fake, who will fail to believe because they have no context for it. I cannot believe what I cannot explain, and so therefore I will remove anything, any mystery of God, any supernatural, any signs and wonders, because I can't explain it, and if I can't explain it, it can't be real. Well, guess what? God does not live in the box of your understanding. He destroys our boxes, he blows them up, and he releases his power in and through our lives in ways that we've never seen and known. And if you don't believe me, stick around long enough, put yourself in places where the Holy Spirit moves, and let me tell you, God will meet you in unexpected ways and do things that blows your mind. My whole life, I've grown up in Pentecostal circles. Have I seen people abuse the things of God and manipulate it and make it up? Absolutely, I have, many times. Have I seen genuine encounters with God and miracles and supernatural healings and words of prophecy that are unexplainable? So many times I couldn't, I, I couldn't even count them all. So many times that I can't go back and disbelieve because my eyes have seen too many times the miraculous things of God. There will always be people who can't explain it. Oh, they've gotta be drunk. 
I don't know what happens when you get drunk, but I don't get better at speaking foreign languages. <laughs> right? I mean, even rationally, this doesn't make sense to me. Oh, my Spanish is just so much better now that I've had my fourth. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes either. We cannot miss the significance of this moment and what God is doing. God said, I'm pouring my spirit on all people, all nations, all languages. Peter goes back and quotes the prophet Joel. He says, Joel prophesied this moment. In the last days, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and daughters are gonna prophesy. Your old men are gonna see visions and dreams. And Joel prophesied of this moment God is undoing the curse of Babel in Genesis 11. You remember that story at the very beginning where God confused their languages and divide them because they weren't following him? This is the reverse of that, where God is bringing the languages together under one spirit. This is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that I'm gonna bless all nations through you. This is God bringing together his people to pour out his spirit. God does not restrict his spirit by ethnicity, by language, by nation, by race, by gender, by location, by geography. Pentecost is blowing the doors off of the norm. It's disrupting the status quo. And we can sit here and be like, amen, pastor. Well, I like the, dis the, the, the status quo disrupted. No, you don't. <laughs> we like our comfort zones. And this is breaking down paradigms in Acts two. Acts chapter two. This was dismantling years of boundary lines that had been put up. The Jewish people, right, are God's special people and everybody else is not quite as special. And God's blowing the doors off of that and said, no, Jewish people, you were always special in order for me to reach the entire world. It wasn't just for you. Now it's for everybody. This is the moment where it becomes for everybody. And I think the question for these disciples gathered together in an upper room and it was spilling over into the streets of Jerusalem is this, what if the spirit is leading you somewhere beyond your comfort zone? To people you previously saw as outsiders. What if God's wanting to do something new in you and through you? What if the Holy Spirit leads you to a place of discomfort in your life and you're not sure you wanna go there but you feel like the Spirit of God is leading you there? You hear me say this all the time, the Holy Spirit is not nearly as concerned with your comfort as your freedom. Often it's the Spirit of God that's leading us outside of our comfort zone to go across the boundary lines that we've created, you know, us versus them. This is what I believe and they believe this over there and the Holy Spirit leads us beyond that. Scott McKnight in his book, Fellowship of Difference, this is our book of the series out there and we got some more of them if you want more, they just came in. He says this in his book. He says, Acts is not describing a golden age when everything was perfect. Rather, it was describing how those early Christians, drenched as they were with the Holy Spirit and feeling the glow of their new lives at work, learned to live with one another in fellowship. All they wanted was for the we to be bigger than the me. But the Spirit of God, think about this, as it was poured out on the church, you know what it created? Humility where I'm more concerned with us than I am with me. I want what's better for you than I do myself. 
I'm willing to lay down my rights and opinions. In fact, I'm willing to give of what I have if you have need. This is what the Holy Spirit led the people of God and the church to do. It wasn't just a personal encounter and experience with God. It was for us. Two things this morning as I wrap this up. I believe on Pentecost Sunday, God wants to bring this to his church. The first thing is power. And the second thing is practice. Let's talk about power for a minute. Have we settled for a powerless church preaching a self-help gospel and trying to be good enough to bring change and transformation? I gotta be honest, there's sometimes I don't think you need another sermon. Like you're, sometimes, you know, you go to church regularly, you're over-sermonized. You need power. Like you need a genuine encounter with God. That's what we need. Like the church to awaken from their slumber and not just have another text and take some notes and go home and lay it aside and not do something with it, but you need an encounter with God in your life. My prayer for our church, I truly mean this. This Thursday night is midweek, the first Thursday night of every month. My prayer, my vision for, for, my, for our church is that we will have more people on, at midweek than we do on Sunday morning. That we will create such a, a a passion for the presence of God around here that people like, oh yeah, if I have to miss, I'll miss on a, on a Sunday morning, but I'm not missing midweek. That is my vision for this church, is that we have such a hunger for God's presence. If you've been to midweek lately, since we've moved into this building a few months ago, I, I don't know what shifted. I don't know if it was expectation. I'm not saying it's something special about a building, but God has moved in incredible ways in our midweek service. And you who are in the room, you're like, yes, I mean, last, last time we had midweek, God so powerfully moved in this room. I mean, deliverance and breakthrough and people crying in repentance and, and specifically for like unforgiveness and bitterness, like breaking generational chains and holds of like abuse that they've gone through. Let me tell you, when you create space for God to move, God shows up. When you have a room of expectant people, it could be like 10 of us, 12 of us, but you're expectant, guess what? God's about to show up. I would rather have 12 expectant people than hundreds of people sitting back like, what do you got for me, pastor? You better wow me this morning. Creating this space and this atmosphere where we wait upon the Lord. Where's our generation of those who are gonna wait upon God? I, I gotta be honest with you, younger generation, I'm a little bit worried. Where's this generation of intercessors? Where's this generation of people who are gonna grab a hold and be like, I'm not letting go until God shows up? Not the generation where, oh, I'll pray for you, you don't think about it again. No, I'm going to pray for you. People of prayer, people who wait upon the Lord. I mean, we're in such a church culture right now where we just show up, we kind of sit on the fringes on the outside and we're like, man, I, I hope they really play the song that I like. I hope they do this. I hope it's like, a, it's like a show every week and then you keep coming back to be entertained. Where are the people that are gonna wait on the Lord and say, I don't need to be entertained. The presence of God is enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. Told you I was gonna preach today. It's Pentecost Sunday, I got two Bibles up here. Come on now, <laughs> it's that big a deal. This is my Bible from college. It's falling apart, so I don't use it anymore. My 21st birthday, I sat on the bed in my dorm room. I think I was junior year and I was in, it was in my senior year of college. 
and God began to speak to me very clearly about a church that he wanted to build, that I believed God was gonna help me build. And God gave me clear visions and pictures and I wrote it down. Actually, I typed it out. This has been in this Bible for 20 years. And every year of my life when I go back to this, I'm like, I feel like we're taking a step closer, but we're not there yet. A step closer, but we're not there. My vision that God gave me was never about numbers. I never want to be a megachurch pastor. I will resign before that happens. That's just not who I am. That's not what God's called me to do. It was to create a church of people who are passionate about the presence of God, passionate about unity, and passionate about going out on mission. I was 21 years old. My birthday, I wasn't worried about what bar I was going to that night. I was dreaming about God's church. This says, what is that one thing in my life that excites me when I even begin to think about it? What, what draws me? Many times I try to downsize my dreams to a place where I can make them humanly feasible. Instead of allowing my God-given passions to paint the pictures that are deep within my heart, my own lack of faith would rather draw a sketch of what my mind says is possible. My heart burns to start a church. Not a church with preconceived mindsets or theological agendas, but a group of individuals who are involved in a passionate pursuit of Jesus. To see the outcast confused, hurting, broken, possessed, hard-hearted, come to a hope like they never dreamed. A place where the church looks more like the book of Acts than the church down the road. Where true believers gather not with their own agendas, but with such a desire to serve that the people become the hands and feet of Jesus himself. A single light that has been lit in a place that has only known darkness. Where people looking for a night of pleasure and fulfillment will somehow be drawn to the doors of a life-giving place. Where the prosperous businessman can sit next to the outcast homeless man and be connected by a mutual realization that they are nothing without Jesus. A A place where people pass by in the course of their routine and feel drawn by the presence of God a place without titles or positions, but a breath of fresh air amidst a world trying to suck the life from them, where black, white, Hispanic, Asian can look past the exterior and see a true brother or sister in Christ, a place where witches and members of the occult come to exercise demonic influence, but instead begin to weep as God sets them free and reveals his undying love, a place where the line outside the door of the church outnumbers the line at the hottest bar, of the hottest bar or the newest club, A place where people don't focus on denomination, rituals, or theological agendas, but are overwhelmed by the pursuit of Jesus Christ, a deeper relationship with him, and an undying desire to serve others in whatever capacity. A group of people united in the reflection of Jesus Christ to the world. Let me tell you, City Church, I think we're getting closer. I think we're getting closer. People ask me, like, what, what are you most excited about right now? What are, you, what are you doing this year? And I said, to be honest with you, we're in a season of recovery. Because this last year of fundraising and building this place and moving in. And then you remember we had that first service and then we had that grand opening and then there was a little thing called Easter. And then we did family camp and then we had Love Tulsa Sunday and they're like, what are you looking forward to? I don't know, a nap? I don't know. <laughs> You know what I'm really looking forward to? Ask my staff this, I'm not just saying this. This year we are building a culture of prayer and taking it to another level. 
And I feel like some people in our church are gonna jump on board and go with us, and I feel like some people are gonna be like, I don't know if that's for me, and that's okay, we bless you. To develop a culture of prayer of people who will wait on the Lord, because we can't do this without the power of God. You cannot live out the Christian life through willpower, through drive. You don't have what it takes inside of you. I'm sorry. And you don't have to. You don't live your life by willpower, drive your own efforts. You have been given the power and life of Christ through the indwelling work of the Spirit. Let me tell you what happens when we receive the power of the Spirit in the church. We receive power. God takes the ordinary and makes them extraordinary. There's a story about this in Acts chapter four, if you keep reading, where they literally look at, 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 at Peter and John and they're like, you guys are really ordinary, but you do extraordinary things. Welcome to the power of the Holy Spirit in you. When we receive the Spirit, you receive boldness. Some of us need boldness to live our lives in Christ, not to shrink back in fear, but to boldly proclaim the gospel. You know what else God does when he pours out his spirit? He makes us generous. We start to hold our stuff loosely, not with palms clenched, not like this is mine, but what God have, have you put in front of me? What needs can I meet? God gives us the fruit of the spirit, amen? He gives us the fruit of the spirit before he gives us the gifts of the spirit. If you want a church who has the gifts but not the fruit of the spirit, read 1 Corinthians, it's not a good church. We need the fruit before we have the gifts but the gifts of the Spirit, God gives the church so that we can serve each other and love each other and lead each other closer to Jesus. And then God gives us signs and wonders. Guess what? We don't try to control the leading of the Spirit. I get asked this all the time. They're like, where are you on gifts of the Spirit, Pastor? Speaking in tongues, all these kind of things. Like, I get this question asked a lot. I was like, you know, I was like, we're like charismatic Pentecostal with seatbelts, because that's what I read in Scripture. I think a seatbelt is good. I think Paul likes seatbelts. In my study of, of 1 Corinthians, I, I don't think it was a free-for-all. I don't think it was a bunch of people coming in with their own agenda and saying, I'm gonna make it this, or I, I, I wanna speak in tongues so people know that I'm spiritual. I think Paul says it should be decency and order that leads and draws people to unity and to Jesus. But we can't get rid of it just because it's different and weird. And how many know there's extremes, always extremes in there? There's the people who are like, because we can't control it, we shouldn't do it, God doesn't do it anymore, God does do it and God wants to do it. And we can't let it just be a free-for-all where people take it and they make it what they want. How do we find this place? We need power, church. The second thing is this, is we need practices. Practices. The power of Pentecost moved the church into shared practices. As someone who grew up in the Pentecostal movement, generational. I've talked about this, my great-grandfather being an Assembly of God minister, my grandfather being an Assembly of God minister, me growing up in the church, witnessing the power of God. Let me tell you where we've missed it at times. We chased experiences and encounters, but we were deficient in spiritual formation practices. We, we thought, I just need another encounter. I, I grew up in this youth group. If we just have a Holy Spirit encounter one more time, that's what we need to ultimately experience a life in Christ. How many know encounters are good, but what you do after the encounter matters? If you don't have spiritual formation practices, it doesn't matter how many outpourings and encounters you have, it will not lead to transformation and lasting change. 
That's why in the book of Acts, guess what? The spirit of God is poured out on the church and then you get Acts chapter two, 42 through 47, where it says they begin to break bread together regularly. They met in the temple courts. They fellowshiped, they prayed together. The spirit among them moved them to shared practices, which leads us to this, last but not least in your notes. There is no formation without repetition. There is no formation without repetition. In the book of Acts, Holy Spirit outpourings were always preceded by the church moving to practices and rhythms of formation and transformation. It's how they sustained the move of God. Right, so what happens, it means I gather together with the people of God, the Holy Spirit poured out among us, we see signs and wonders, we're empowered, we're filled up, God gives the gifts of the Spirit, and then guess what, when I go home, it's gotta change what I do, and who I meet with, and my rhythms. Am I learning to abide in Christ? Am I getting God's word in my heart? Do I have a prayer life? Am I changing the people that I'm around in my community? How many know we need power, church? On this Pentecost Sunday, if you were here in pre-service prayer this morning, man, the thing that just God kept over and over replaying in my heart was, God, awaken your church. God, awaken your church. We have been sleeping. God, awaken your church. We don't need to, to go out there and chase one more good thing. We need a genuine encounter with God. Let me tell you, there are some people in the room, that is what you need. You don't even know that you need it. Because when you're in the presence of God, let me tell you, it's perfect peace. It's a foretaste of what we're gonna experience in heaven one day. And you get just a glimpse of it here in God's presence where like all your fears are gone, all your anxieties leave. Where God fills you, overflows inside of you. He speaks to your heart. He draws, he convicts, he reminds of God's love. We have to position ourselves to receive what God wants to give. And then we need practices, practices that form us. Let me tell you, I believe a church that is experiencing the power of God and the practices of God will be used mightily by God. I believe God shows up in that church. And again, it's so easy to get one or the other, or we just focus on the experiences, but we neglect the practices, or we just get involved in the practices and the disciplines, but we're not experiencing the presence. I believe God wants to bring those together in the church today. Why don't you stand to your feet with me across this room? What better time for us on Pentecost Sunday just to ask God for more of his presence in our life. Guess what? You may be in the room and you're a skeptic. You're cynical about all of this. God still loves you. He's chasing you down. He wants to move in your life. Maybe this morning you just need to open that part of your heart to the possibility that God wants to move in your life. Here's what we're gonna do in a few minutes, what we do every week. We're gonna come to the table we're gonna recenter our heart around the work of Jesus. If you're new here at City Church, in just a minute, we're gonna step out of our seats and we're gonna to come to the table and we're gonna take the body and the blood of Jesus. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not comfortable doing so, you're welcome to stay right where you're at in your seat and you still can worship with us. But if you're hungry for more of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning or you wanna be a follower of Jesus this morning, you are invited to come and take the body and the blood of Jesus. And this is a, a moment every Sunday we gather together as the people of God and we just remind ourselves who we are. We are Jesus people. We're united in this room because of the work of Christ. After we take communion, we're gonna go back into a short time of worship. During that time of worship this morning on this Pentecost Sunday, this altar front area is open. Some of you in this room, you just need a fresh touch of God in your life. If you're just honest, you're like, I just, man, I just need, I need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm hungry for that, I'm desperate for that. Is there anything special about an altar? Well, there has been in my life. As I step out of where I'm at and I come forward and I just say, God, I'm moving towards you. I just think God meets us there. And we're gonna open this front area during this time of worship. If you wanna pray, if you wanna worship, if you just wanna say, God, I need more of you, we invite you to come after this time of communion. If you would, right where you're at, and just prepare your heart right now to receive the body and the blood of Jesus. Prepare your heart for what God wants to do in you and through you.